Howdy, 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 how are ya? Welcome to another episode of the Hilaritas Podcast. I am your host, Mike Gathers. Join me as we explore the vast world of iconic writer, psychedelic psychologist, rebel philosopher, and self-proclaimed agnostic mystic, Robert Anton Wilson. Visit us at hilaritaspress.com slash podcast for show notes, links, and past episodes. In this episode, I discuss color magic and the eight circuit model of consciousness with Chow surfer Mariana Pinson. My name is Mariana Pinson, but I'm mm. also known as Mavis. That's my magical name. Ah, welcome to Hilaritas Podcast. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure. Well, before we go here, I, I want to ask, I do want to ask, how many languages do you speak? Fluently three. Three, mm-hmm. which are? Spanish, German, and English. Okay. And which one would you consider native or maybe two? It depends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's dependent. Like my my mother tongue would be German. I learned German before I learned Spanish, which I learned okay. shortly after because multicultural background. Mm-hmm. And I've been living in Germany now for over 20 years, so I don't use my Spanish much anymore. And interesting enough, a big part of my conversations are in English. Um, Mm. So my vocabulary to express actually all of the psycho-spiritual stuff is more in English than in German or in Spanish. And my Spanish has become very limited, limited in vocabulary and expression. Do you know what language you dream in? It varies as well. Okay. Um, interestingly, I dream, I think, mostly in German. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, depending on the context, if the context will switch, if like I'm in an English-speaking context for a longer time, that switches to English as well. Very rarely in Spanish, though. Right. I have a, a friend that's Spanish and English, and it's the same situation. He grew up in Houston, so English is kind of his normal. But when he spends a lot of time in South America, he ends up speaking Spanish or dreaming in Spanish, I should say. Yeah. All right. So um, I, I, I want to bookmark that and maybe that'll come up later as we go through our discussion here, because I think that's interesting uh, when people have multiple languages at their disposal, how that influences their consciousness. Um, yeah, very interesting topic to think you about. Want to, you want to speak to that right now? Well, I've like I've 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 made my thoughts on I, very early on. I had three of the languages available, and interestingly enough, for example, I had a conversation in high school with my best friend that was also a lot into philosophy. That it was very curious because both our main language was actually Spanish by that time, but we were both students in Swiss school, so we also had German um, access to. But when we would start discussing philosophy, we would switch to English. Mm. And our reasoning was that Spanish was more closely to our emotional feeling and our emotional Mm. state, while German was beautifully complex to express complex thoughts, but yet it felt too technical 
And English gave us kind of like a more connected sense of fluidity in our discussions. Mm. Um, so that, that was one aspect. Yeah, that reminds me of maybe uh, something Korzybski would say. I think he was a fan of English, although it had its limitations. It seemed, if I remember correctly, he thought it was more flexible. Yeah. And I think like I studied philosophy in German, like my I went to college in Germany and it was so much easier to read um, English authors, actually. Like some of the literature was in English, especially in comparative religion and in political science. And the English authors were just like much more digestible as well to read. German language, I have the sense that it tends to overcomplicate thinking as well. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Makes me wonder how the language might influence the culture or did the culture influence the language or a little bit of both? Well, let's see. We're talking today about what? The eight circuits, balanced psychonautics. What would we, what would you call your spin on the whole thing? Yeah, I would call I like the, the framework I'm trying to imprint would be balanced psychonautics. Balanced psychonautics. Yeah. Based and on the eight secret brain model. Explain balanced psychonautics. What's your spin on the whole situation here? Hmm. What's the spin on the whole situation? Hmm. Well, I really got got fascinated by the vertical connectivity aspect that Antero Ali brought into the model as a way to understand how we can actually consciously work on balancing out our system. Mm -hmm. How and did you? Oh, go ahead. I was going to spin you in a different direction altogether, but it looks like you got something. <laughs> and for me, it was kind of like out of the experience as a novice in chaos magic and as a beginner in psychonautics mm -hmm. um, and experiencing like a lot of chaos, a lot of dysregulation, a lot of, yeah, like very tough experiences that... Mm -hmm understanding like from this place that Antero Ali was sharing, understanding the the necessity um, of lower circuit work to to absorb and integrate kind of like magical and psychonautical exper experiments and experiences, and especially also for practicing chaos magic. So like the, the necessity to focus on the on the on the work of the internal work represented by the lower circuits was just like very palpable in my experience. And it was that which helped me to piece myself and others back together after a very, very wild and chaotic ride. So it kind of was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's like fun playing with, uh, it's fun playing with chaos and it's fun playing with substances and everything, but we need to do it in a balanced manner because Everything else is just like like continuous rights into Chapel Perilous. Mm. And there's also kind of like this discordian play between order and disorder, like from the sacred cow that has me like mm -hmm. super fascinated. At some point, I tattooed the sacred cow. And kind of like since then, I have invited this right of exploration of the balance of order and disorder in my in my life. And 
Yeah, that's also represented in this model in the Chaos Star as well. That the 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 higher circuits kind of like bring in the disorder side of life, and it can be like creative expansion of disorder and inspiration, but it can also get destructive if it's just like too much disorder, and then you have like a fully dysregulated nervous system. And the lower circuit represent order. And it can be creative and supportive, but it can also become destructive if the order is limiting us in our flow of life or if it's limiting us in our yeah capacity to take in new information and to adapt to the changes of the environment and to actually like flow with uh, with the current of life we are in or the current of chaos. Gotcha. I love that. So I love where you're going with all this. Um... If I'm hearing you right, there's something about your life maybe had a lot of chaos and disorder and dysregulation when you discovered this model and you really took to this kind of upper lower balancing act of stability and chaos, order and chaos, dysregulation versus regulation, if Mm -hmm. I follow you correctly and how to, what the word that comes up for me that I use in, in relationships is a balance of challenge and support. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that doesn't fit perfectly, but you know, just another little metaphor. So tell me, how did you, uh, if we were rewind a step, how did you discover all this? I guess starting maybe with the eight circuit side, was it through Wilson or Leary or, um, it was through Wilson Okay, and it was actually like a, a fun story as well. Ooh, I like fun um. stories. <laughs> um, I had just started my novitiate into chaos magic by that time with the with the with the inter um the IoT mm-hmm. the Illuminates of Thanateros. And I was like having a lot of fun and expanding and everything. And I was browsing OKCupid, which is a dating platform. Mm-hmm. And I found a guy that was offering primal massages. Mm. I was like, what the fuck is a primal massage? I have no idea. <laughs> But I kind of like feel a synchronicity that I need this. So I kind of like contacted him. And it was this very, it was a very weird person, um, (laughs) sort of like an Irish gypsy that had made himself like homeless on purpose to kind of like experience the edges of life. And he was doing like tarot readings on the street and offering his primary massages on a dating platform, just like kind of like connect to people in in a very mind fucky way. So I was like, okay, um, it's weird, but vibe check pays out. So I invited him up to give me a primal massage. And that consisted of like him going like very deep into meridians and causing also a lot of pain. Mm. And every time he knew he was causing a lot of pain, he would ask me a deeply philosophical question. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Or... At some point where I was like, when I was like very deep into pain, he would ask me to remember my best orgasm, stuff Mm. like that. So I asked him like, (laughs) what the fuck was up with this technique of trying to distract me with existential philosophical questions while causing me pain? And he was like, oh, I'm experimenting with the eight circuit brain model. Like I'm testing a theory. If I can't like bring people out of a specific state of consciousness into another to um, allow them to release themselves of the pain and thus allow me to go deeper and allow the the flow of energy to be restored. 
So he was kind of like playing at this, getting me into circuit five or getting me into circuit three. Um, so I would not feel the intensity of the pain and I would surrender more to whatever he was doing. <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> and then he recommended me Prometheus Rising. Mm. Yeah, which I immediately bought because I was like, okay, this was such a weird and intense out of the ordinary experience. I need to know what this guy is talking about. And I kind of like started like skimming it and like, it's like, oh yeah, like it kind of like resonated, but I didn't go into really working with it because I was working the novitiate program of the IoT and that already mm. contained a lot of like specific exercises and stuff. So I kind of like couldn't get immersed into it. And after that, I just had like a very wild ride, um, like being being a neophyte, neophyte, neophyte magician and having mm. fun with that until all hell come crashing down. And um, that's when I found the Eight Circuit Brain Model book by Antero Ali as an EPUB. Yeah. Nice. And we started working with that and kind of like going through the course and it kind of like it just it was like everything he was speaking about just like kind of like hit home you know like mm. the, the realizations were dropping and dropping and dropping and then we started doing some of the exercises i love like the the three course meal ritual for circuit one stabilization became of like our weekly ritual and wow. i felt like it like immensely helped us to like kind of like get a sense okay we're going back to baseline we're going back to baseline you know like um and in community as well um yeah, and say a little course. about the community um you said we was that part of your iot group that was doing the eight circuit exercises um no well yes and no um we were i was nesting with a couple of chaos magicians uh, and, um, and, and siblings of the pact and well well we unleashed a lot of chaos and parted in discord and out of the four two of us remained uh, we, which he was my my primary partner mm -hmm. um but like this whole episode got him into a yeah, drug-induced psychosis would like, you know, stay in the psych ward and antipsychotics. So it was like a quite of a hellish of a ride. And he and me and then another friend started doing then, like he and me started working the, the Eight Circuit Brain course together after his psychosis. And it felt like kind of yeah. was like a roadmap to to kind of like also try to get him back to baseline and, and me working with him and on myself as well. Um, to to recuperate from that um, intense ride and chapel perilous. Um, That's some intense and, work. Yeah, <laughs> about a year. Like we spent about a year together after his psychosis, working with uh, working with Antero Ali's book. And after that, I took the course, the online course, in the next round with Antero. Yeah. Wow, what year was that? Do you remember? Yeah. It was 2019 when I found when I found the book and we started working like the psychosis he had was beginning of 2019. And then we spent we didn't make it to the to the online course. Um, we had no money, so we, we didn't make it in. And but we started around spring to working with, with the book like intensely. Mm. And I took then the course in the 220 in the 2020 cohort after the pandemic, like when the pandemic started. Yeah. Gotcha. So we've got some real world experience with chaos here. And then this book shows up, this model shows up first before that through the 
primal massage man. Yeah. And then you have some real world chaos and you use uh, the book. It almost sounds similar to the way Antro developed Angel Tech when he was having, um, I don't remember the details, but I want to say a out of body experience, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. So you were using this with your partner. Wow. That, that strikes me. One, how you were really doing the practices and digging in deep with this material. Yeah. Like I have, I wouldn't claim that I have done all of the exercises because it's a lot and that's there. And I do like that it's a lot and that you get like to pick the stuff that resonates where you say like, okay, Uh, I really feel like I would benefit of doing exactly this. And then it has like different faces and I'll come back to some other stuff later. But yeah, it's, um, the some of the rituals and the exercises by Antero Ali were like very crucial in my sense of piecing myself back together. And in some way, I also realized that I developed an obsession with the eight circuit brain model. <laughs> and that obsession was also a circuit two stabilizer um, to get me back to rebuild my life, right? Because it was at a completely crash and burn. So I remember that while I was reading the first pages or like doing the first, um, yeah, like the first readings, the first chapters, I already felt inspired of like, wow, like I need to do a coaching program out of that. And Mm. I was not even a coach yet. So it kind of like, it it was like just something that resonated so deeply and ignited passion in myself to, to work with this that I really felt this deep and calling and obsession <laughs> to 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 I don't know to to dig deeper into it and and actually develop something out of it. Nice. Can you share a little of of the uh, specific exercises and what that was like for you? Your process with them? Yeah. So for circuit one, like there were two of the exercises that that really hit home for me it was the the three course meal dinner mm-hmm. and we would go then my my partner now ex um and a friend we could would go to the market together in the morning and really get like some very fresh stuff and decide then upon a on a on a meal and then we would do even a little bit of like chaos magic ritual on top of it. So we would do like uh, a banishment and then a sentence of intent. It is our will to cook ourselves, to prepare ourselves with much love and dedication, a delicious mm-hmm. and nourishment, three course meal and enjoy it. And then we would proceed in silence to prepare the meal and not talk at all. Just have like some music and be like fully focused and dedicated on preparing with as much love and attention the food. And then we would sit together and eat it. And the just like the first, the very first one we did, it was like so pleasurable, orgasmic, joyous, and fun. Like each bite of that food mm. we prepared was just like, oh my God, is this good? And then we decided we need to do this every week. So we did that every week for a couple of months. And that like kind of like stabilized us in this in this ritual as well. And nourishing our bodies and taking care of ourselves and also being in community and sharing in that in community. And every time I do my my course now, if I have people in Berlin, I also when we do the C1 week, I invite them to a three course meal ritual at my place because I find it's like such a nice way to bond, to create community and to to um to to share this very special moment. 
Um, and the other one was the bathtub ritual with Epsom salt. That is, um, the proposal is to draw oneself a hot bath for 20 minutes with about like eight spoonsful of, of Epsom salt, be very immobile, like not move at all, motionlessness in the bathtub. And then after getting out, rinsing shortly with, uh, with fresh water and then going into a dark, uh, dark room and bed, mm. just like observing observing this and sensing the body sensing the pulse sensing the heartbeat sensing the breath and i felt that that ritual like for for once the salt bath kind of like cleans also your your energy field and and like all the like the toxic stuff so like also help like stabilize and this being like in the dark after and just being so intensely attuned to some physical or bodily processes that you don't have so much awareness of as in the in the intensity after the ritual. Yeah, it felt also just like very, very deeply connecting to the body, very deeply connecting to a sense of safety, to a sense of being alive. And that I had kind of like dissociated a lot from my body after all the horror I had gone through. So just like coming back to the body in that way and at the same time cleansing of negative energy through the salt bath um, did wonders for me. And nowadays I still have not not all the time a salt bath, but I do have hot bath routine. Um, and when the times get tougher, the hot baths are the things that like also kind of like anchor me a lot into my body and grounding and and, and, and being present and relaxed as well. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I had uh, a pretty powerful experience with the salt bath as well. It's interesting because he just suggests a, like a handful or even half a handful of salt, I think, which is not a heck of a lot, but it seems like, like you said, enough to create. It's like your energy just dissipates into the salt water. Mm. And uh, I was in a bathtub that's not like a, a our second bathtub in the house that's not mine that not my normal place i guess is what i'm trying to say and it was dark in the room and where my consciousness is normally way up in my head I, and and always there and kind of stuck there i felt it just drop mm. and i didn't know what to do with it but i kind of intentionally moved it to my heart and um I, if i'm trying to remember but i want to say i was living in that space for several days and having some of the best sleep of my life. Mm. Um, and I've never been, I've never really tried to recreate it. It's serious intention, but uh, that was like a one-time thing. That was really amazing. So you, you, there's the salt bath and then, oh, the, the three-course meal, where it sounds like, like that first time you did it, there was that experience of like fifth circuit bliss that really came yeah. out of the whole thing. And there's something about just, I don't know what circuit intention is on, or if we need to put it on a circuit, but putting so much intention on your process there, how you went to the store, how you prepared it in silence with love. Um, very beautiful. Yeah. It's one of my favorite rituals still. <laughs> yeah. So what else? Are there any more that really uh, resonated with you? Yeah. Yeah. For circuit two, um, there was um reflection exercise about the emotional investment list mm. and that was about um like kind of like taking inventory of all of the emotional investments and in people and projects and ideals um and in stuff 
right? Like how invested are you in your stuff as well? And I think I spent about, I don't know, like three hours doing that emotional investment list. Wow. And at the end I was like, fuck, I'm so <laughs> fucked because like, I'm just investing and investing and investing and not getting returns on investment. And I don't mm. have enough sources of nourishment. No wonder I'm so fucking emotionally depleted and fucked. <laughs> I like that part about getting a return on your investment. Like, why am I so invested in this in the first place? And what am I getting out of it? Yeah. And that was a hard, that was a hard, um, a hard mirror on, on where I was at in life. Mm. And I think I still don't have that one figured out very well because I still tend to be somebody that's like very lavish with their emotional investments. And I just like, yeah, here's my energy, you know, like go have it, la la la. And I do very often, or I have, I have had a, like a couple of rounds of burnout. And I do realize now after doing that exercise, like, why I end up in burnout because I invest and I invest and I invest and I don't take care to find a balance where I also get returns on investment or where I also receive emotional nourishment, even though I'm not maybe not investing in that particular area. So it's been quite a journey of trying to make it a little bit more conscious to see like, okay, where where should I invest or where where does it make sense to put in my energy and um, how can I look out for more sources of nourishment. And this led me also to the realization that at that point that I was not willing anymore to invest emotional energy in the dream of someone else, um, like in the vision someone else had. Um, I've, I, I worked for a couple, like I worked for a couple of startups and visionaries and I also like invested a lot there and then got crashed and burned and discarded. Um, and I was like, no, fuck that shit. Like, I'm not going to invest all of my precious energy anymore in trying to build the dream of someone else. I will invest that now in building my own dream. Mm. So you've made some big switches and and really come to a lot of awareness through that exercise, it sounds like. Yeah. Are there any more that came up for you through this hole? You're going to keep <laughs> digging. <laughs> well, for circuit dream. Um, there were two things of the circuit three exercise from Antero Ali that I really enjoyed. One was the living without an image. So like covering all the mirrors for a week. And that one I felt was like kind of like spooky because mm. there was like still this. Yeah, there's like I became aware of all the habitual glances to the mirror and I have like a lot of mirrors. I have like a big, big mirror in my room and there's mirrors in the hallway and mirror in the bathroom, big mirror in the bathroom. And this kind of like being stunned when getting into the bathroom and then not seeing your reflection. Um, and it's like, all oh, right, yeah, right. I'm doing this exercise, right, right. And then kind of like all the kind of sneaky ways then when going around the street and trying to catch my reflection, maybe just on a piece <laughs> of glass or something. Cause like, oh yeah, there's still there, still that, that reflection. And then also kind of like avoiding all the selfie stuff. And yeah, it, it was very weird. I, I, I don't know if I have like, other than it, that was weird and powerful just to notice how much, how much I depend on looking at my reflection 
And then also nowadays when I look at when I'm taking video and I have like the selfie view and I like see myself and I get distracted by my own reflection and it annoys me that I get distracted by my own reflection. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, also realizing that there was there's a lot of like kind of like this vanity of looking at yourself in the mirror and that yeah, there, there's an addiction. There's an addiction of like validating, validating your existence by looking at your image in the mirror. And the other exercise was the let's, the. the hmm? Let's stick with that for a second before you yeah. go on, Chad. Because I'm sitting here, we're on Zoom, and I'm staring at myself. <laughs> it's it's amazing to me how much I get attracted to looking at my own image on Zoom, and I actually uh, just just maximized your window so i see a big you and a little me but uh that in yeah that investment it, it, it's funny how i mean if i was in a normal meeting i would never look at a mirror to see what i look like but when i'm on zoom i have to keep checking yeah and it, because it's there i i visited and stayed with Ontario oh january of 2008 i think it was and when he lived in berkeley and he had a big screen TV, but it was covered with a sheet. And there was something about that, that like, you keep, I keep looking at it. Like there's a TV there. It should draw my attention, but it's not even on and it's covered with a sheet, but it's amazing how you, I'm just so conscious of it. Yeah. Uh, and I like you use the word haunting because I assume because there was the, the drapes or the sheets covering the mirrors and just how that effect, or what would you say was haunting about it? I don't know if I use the, the word haunting. Oh. I think it's weird. It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was weird because, of course, like it made the rooms a little bit closer. Like it felt mm. like more closed off and more cozy at the same time. But just also like the the weirdness of this, the regularity with which I, my my gaze would drift to the covered mirror, right? Mm -hmm. And expecting a reflection that was then not there and then being like, well, okay, I did that again, right? So like right. noticing how much you do that. And I think like a lot of the glances into the mirror are very unconscious, right? Very in the passing by, but we're still like checking in with our reflection. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's not so much that I like I stand before the mirror looking at myself all the time because I've done that ritually as well, kind of like just like sitting there. Um, I remember like a very, very powerful mirror ritual for when I decided to become a coach was also out of this, like, okay, now everything's fucked. I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, so I sat in front of the mirror and I went into this like deep kind of like silence and void and just like looking at my gaze into the mirror and I asked myself the question, what's next? And about after like two hours of sitting, it just came like coaching. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> So mirror does have kind of like also like kind of like a sort of a magic of connecting with yourself. Right. Mm. right? Yes. And but depriving yourself from that, that aspect of self-connection forced into kind of like different ways um, of connecting with myself, which was more, I think it was more about like actually like physical touch, like getting mm. more in touch with my body instead of with my image to like check in with myself. Interesting. And you're about to go into the next exercise before. <laughs> yeah, there was a talk fast that he suggested to like calm down the monkey mind to do like kind of like word fasting and not talk. Yeah. And I did that for about three days, I think. 
And oh, I immensely enjoyed it. It was just like, just like pure joy because I also said like, okay, I'm not going to watch any video content, not going to listen to any podcasts, also not going to listen to any music that contains lyrics, not going to read anything. So I, I spent most of those three days actually just like lying around, just like <laughs> doing nothing and um, yeah, you know, some chores here and there, but not working. It was over Easter, so I, I didn't really have a lot to do. And it was just so relaxing. It was just so relaxing and not terrible at all. Like I had expected maybe that my mind would um, haunt me some more that I would fall into like horrible mind loops or everything. But no, it was just, it was just a complete state of relaxation. Wow. Is there a transition at all? Or I I was, I thought you were going to say that there was a period at first where it was really difficult and then you moved through it, but it sounds like maybe not so much. No, because at the beginning it felt relieving. It had also Mm. a little bit to do with the social situation I was in at that moment. My ex had just moved out. This other friend had moved in, but he kind of like wanted to engage with me in ways I didn't want. And it was, it was kind of like, also I like, okay, I'm out, you know, like I'm out of the social interaction. Um, I'm Mm. in my own world. So like I had an immediate sense of relief of disengaging from interaction. Um, And a relief for not having any input either. Um, because I, 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 I would say I'm a very C3 heavy person and my mind is very addicted to receiving input. to like getting input all the time, information, information, information. There was no sense of craving. There was no, like, it was just really like a vacation. Wow. Nice. And it sounds like you, so you had that information, uh, decoupling and that vacation, but there was also an asocial component to it that, uh, yeah. You're you're really these are simple exercises, but they're extraordinarily powerful. Indeed. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing them, because I think more people should just engage with this kind of exercises because they're so simple. And it's like it's so simple ways as well to do psychonautics, right? I'm kind of like also trying to rebrand the term psychonautics to include consciousness exploration without substances. Right. And in the in the main sense of the word. That's where it comes from, right? Psychonautics does not imply only um, the 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 altered states, consciousness, explorations, and substances, but it's also if looked at the eight circuit brain model, this kind of exercises are an exploration of consciousness on different different levels of intelligence and consciousness, and they're so simple and yet so revelatory, and sometimes even more revelatory than an LSD trip itself. So. Well, I really love hearing about how you have used them in your life. Is there more you want to share there as I keep pushing forward? Mm. And I appreciate your transparency in all this. <laughs> um, let's see. How do I remember? What do I do for Circuit 4 stuff? Well, Circuit 4, what like what has really stuck with me in circuit four and I have like found also very, very powerful with clients and I always include into my workshop is kind of like this getting clear on where your values are at, building your values compass. And I found it very, I found the distinguishing distinction that Antero Ali made between morals and ethics, um, very, um, very resonant, right? Like, I mean, 
So yeah, explain, uh, explain that one for us. What are yeah, the, what's so, the distinction? So morals usually are given in a context of religious indoctrination or social contracts um, on societal level. Um, and you're usually being indoctrinated, inculturated into a set of morals that are shared by culture or are by shared by the device of the social contract you're moving in. So you usually receive them from your parents or figures of authorities, teacher, religious authorities, or by given by the state in sense of like, these are the rules of engagement if you are, are born into a citizen of this country, right? But ethics... The way Antero Ali presented it is more about developing your own consciousness, mm. your, your own conscience, right? So developing a compass that is of your own device, where you get like very cl crystal clear on what values are important to you, and then build a compass out of them, and then be become very conscious when you do um, decisions that concern the navigation of the social field to ask yourself like in which way would i be embodying these values or my values which kind of decision or action or direction would make me be in alignment with the values i want to embody and i found this immensely empowering um in a sense of becoming your own individual like your own your own agent of yeah, ethical moral authority I have, I've had a very big aversion to religious moral authorities and to all kinds of different authorities. I have a very C2 anti-authoritarian program. So this felt very liberating for me to get very clear on, on what my values are. And I've, I've discovered or I felt like a lot of clients have done this work as well. They have also experienced it as liberating because in a sense, you get like thrown back to yourself, but you have a clear compass on how to make decisions because making decisions without moral guidance can be a very strenuous thing. You know, like I've, I've experienced before, like being very torn between decisions and how to make decisions or in, in, in social contexts. And when you're very clear on what your values are, it becomes very easy. Right. It becomes very easy that. when you answer that question. Um, how can I act in a way that embodies more of the values I hold dear? And then to become conscious as well that the values change over time, that they, um, that maybe the priorities shift and that you can make also conscious shifts in your value compass as well and adapt that um, as you grow and as you move through life. And then you'll realize sometimes as well that you'll have, you'll get conflict of interest between different values. And just recently, I found myself as well in a conflict of interest between my values and my C2 emotional needs. And that was also a very interesting space to be at, to seeing like how my vervent adherence to my values and upholding my values was fucking me in <laughs> my C2 needs. Mm. <laughs> There's something there about being in integrity, but somehow you found yourself out of alignment between two different circuits. Yeah. So where are you in integrity? Is it more integral to be in alignment with uh, the C2 needs um, of boundaries and emotional sovereignty? Or is mm. it more important to uphold the, the value, right? And, and, and when are you then starting to harm yourself by like, uh, dogmatically adhering to upholding a value? Is it, yeah. Is there another value that, that supersedes that one? 
sort of a hypothetical question, but. Well, that's that's the question I got like feedback in, in one of those conflict situations uh, that was like, okay, so like how 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 important is this value to you that you're willing to harm yourself at the expense of, of staying in integrity with this value? Um, or how that you're willing to, to take harm yourself, at least, um, for, for upholding that value. And I think like that is maybe something that a lot of like idealists, revolutionaries and people that are like fighting for change, they take for, they, they take as part of the deal of like, if you're going to be fighting in the name of some value or ideal or, utopian vision or whatever that you're willing to make sacrifices um on your on your health and well-being and or your more um emotional egoic needs to 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 go for that and to realize whatever you're after in implementing those values or in living in integrity with those values and i think it's a hard choice to make sometimes yeah yeah there is to me something about having a hierarchy of values and that one may supersede the other and it becomes priorities. In the value construct itself, there is a hierarchy of values that also need you need to be aware of. Some values will be of higher order than others, but here it's also a hierarchy be, uh, between like the consciousness, like the different levels of consciousness, right? If you're like operating out of the hierarchy that the values of C4 supersede the 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 C2 needs, then you're not valuing, at least then you're not valuing your personal emotional well-being enough or or your your sense of of autonomy enough in relation to this other more abstract values, maybe. I would agree with that as well. There's a kind of an innate hierarchy within the model, at least in yeah. the one in the one through four region. Well, wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. That is uh, very inspiring. And uh, I appreciate that you've done some serious work there, which is always sort of a prerequisite in my mind for a good coach that they've done their own work. So let's maybe go back into the the balanced psychonautics. Talk to me about that. We talked to we touched a little about chaos and order, the lower and the upper, and mm. maybe you were living in a bit of a chaos. You found this model and this system and Ontario's eight circuit book and brought some stability and order into and regulation into your life. Mm. And now you're teaching it. Now I'm teaching it. Yeah. The desire to teach it comes out of from two places. For one, which is also part of the teachings of Antero and Bob, right? Intelligence increase. Um mm-hmm. So you have the absorption phase, you have the integration phase, and you have the transmission phase. So also going into transmission mode is a practice of intelligence increase, and it's a practice for deeper integration of the knowledge mm. and the information as well. So I took that to heart and I was like, okay, um, even though I might not be an expert yet on it, I'm just going to start talking about it and teaching about it. And every round I've been doing, I do get the sense of like, I'm going deeper with the material. I'm integrating it more. I'm refining it more. I'm making it all more of my own. So there's like an a personal reason to do that as my own practice. And because I was just like, I'm I'm very passionate and convinced about the usability and the usefulness of this model, especially for people playing around with uh, with substances and people um, dabbling and playing around with magic, right? And as uh, and that's like then the more 
maybe like a more circuit four kind of like mission um, in the sense that I'm, for one, realizing that we're entering, uh, well, not entering, we're in the midst of, but it's going to accelerate. We're in times of accelerated change. And this acceleration of change brings up a lot of uncertainty because the maps we're used to work with are going to cease to work. The structures, the social structures we're used to work with are, are starting to decay and crumble. The advancements in technology that are coming our way are like, we, we can't wrap our minds around it yet, what it will do to our social world and our personal world and our senses of self and everything else. Um, there's like crisis upon crisis upon crisis kind of like looming upon us. So there's a sense of like, there's a lot of chaos coming our way. There's just a lot of chaos coming mm. our way. And so how can we, how can we learn to serve that? Right. And I, and I had this intuition that the eight circuit brain model is just a very, very valuable tool for that, for understanding how our own nervous systems is constantly in this in the struggle to keep um, homeostasis amidst uh, environmental change, right? So the environment is changing and change is accelerating, and we need to adapt. But every time uh, a shock hits us, we get dysregulated, we get out of balance, and then we need to find ways to to regain balance. And that's like the sweet spot of the metaphor I'm using for my coaching business, like chaos surfing, right? Mm. So in, in in the sense of like if we. It's kind of like the metaphor. It goes a bit like this. Um, if we see, if we if we don't adhere to the philosophy of just like going with the flow and just like letting life take you wherever, whatever, and, and bounce you around, but you want to go with more agency and being a magician or claiming to be a magician is about like taking a bit more agency on how you go through life and how you interact with life and the world and your reality. Then cow surfing becomes about kind of like realizing, okay, there's some things admit that cows where I have agencies and some things where I don't. And I don't have agency of how high the waves come, how fast the waves come, how the wind blows, how deep they steep they break, um, how often they come or not. Um, but I do have agency in terms of like how well am I prepared? Do I do the grounding work? Is my core strong? Can I hold my balance on my board? Do I paddle to get that wave? Do I let it pass? Do I go under the wave? Do I go up the wave? Do I lean left into the wave? Do I lean right into the wave? Right? So like we have a little bit of agency in how we play with the waves, which needs us to be very present and very attuned to what is happening in our environment. But it also asks of us to do the, the work of holding our core. Right. So it's like kind of like we need to do to serve the wave of chaos. That was like what I what came out with is we need to do the core work, especially the C2 core work to be grounded within ourselves and to our own sovereignty and authority. So we can deal with all the fuck ton of uncertainty and waves of chaos that are coming our way. And if we manage that and we manage to take kind of like the C5 surfer of chaos mindset to it of like okay you know it's gonna be a shit show it's gonna be chaotic <laughs> it's like um and we have no idea how much uh how much of 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 this like chaotic and um 
uh, structure dissolving changes we're going to be facing. But if we go about it with kind of like playfulness of a surfer yes. of like, it's like, yeah, all right. So let's do the work, you know, let's get physical, let's ground in our core. And then let's let just go out and play with those waves, you know, and let's just have some fun. And yeah, sometimes the wave is going to bitch slap you and you're going to swallow some water <laughs> and you're going to hit some sand. And then it's going to be time to get back to shore and regroup and, you know, just like sit and try to like get back into balance, get back into your sense of physicality and then observe the waves for a bit and then just jump back into the water and have some more fun with those waves. Because what else are we going to do in this chaotic ride than like mm. trying to have fun surfing those waves and uh, do our best to keep centered and balanced in our core so that we don't get completely mind-fucked, dysregulated, and just go completely mad because we don't understand the world anymore. Mm, love that. Thank you for that. I uh, I love the surfing metaphor, and you just laid it out far better than I ever have. Um, there's something about uh, it all coming back to play in a way. And, and then, you know, if we were to talk about the upper circuits, the play and the bliss... And when you're in the water and the feeling of connectedness to nature, which which happens, well, I guess that would be the seventh circuit in my mind. But before you connect, you have to really be attuned to your own energy, which is the sixth mm. circuit in my mind. And then, yeah, as you, well, I'm going to stop there, but thank you. That was great. So tell me more. Mm. So, yeah, I think like the the what i'm sensing is that this model has a lot of potential if we look at it with this more like playful way of doing mm. self-work yeah self-work doesn't need to be serious self-work doesn't need to be like tedious either you can't go about it like in a playful way that's why i coined the the name of my program the balanced psychonautics quest because mm. it's kind of like a quest you know to get prepared for 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 the chaotic transitions that we're facing and as we're kind of like in the state place of the the technology of magic being more accessible as well, you can find every all the information on the internet, the books are accessible, the knowledge that has been kind of like hidden behind secret societies and initiatory societies for a lot is now out in the open. Everybody can get a hands on it. Um, psychedelics are very accessible. People are experimenting. And that's all great um, because I think it will further human evolution in a very fast track way that this information is accessible and the substances and technologies are accessible or technologies of self-initiation, would just mm. I would say. But the thing about, I think, where it gets a little bit difficult is there there was a reason why this knowledge was hidden because... Opening up um, the higher circuitry can bring a lot of this balance and this regulation and 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 trouble and like psychosis <laughs> and, and different different uh, very challenging experiences and usually in this initiatory societies there was a preparation right uh, usually initiates would be prepared on a physical level to enter the trials of initiation they would be prepared on an emotional level they would do some self-work during the training and the preparation their minds would be 
fed with information that would then maybe allow them to expand their maps and then also make sense of the initiatory experiences. They were embedded in a community to do that work of getting initiated into higher circuitry experiencing. And then through rituals of initiation, shocks would be deliberately delivered um, so that the initiate would open up to that, uh, that experiencing and open up to activate the circuitry. And even then, for some, it would have detrimental effects. Even if the people were well prepared and were groomed in their circuits one to four to receive the initiations, even then some candidates would get fucked and dysregulated. And, um, but they would still be then in a community that could then absorb them and help them ground and do the integration work to then eventually get back into a sense of homeostasis and 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 back um back into a functional space right and now we're giving this technology and this very powerful tools that are psychedelics they're just accessible out there anybody can do them <laughs> and that's beautiful in one way but fucking scary in another way because there's a lot of people that are going to get dysregulated by experimenting with this technology and taking the substances and even though like we're working on therapeutical tracks and everything like that um there is still going to be a high percentage of people seeking out the substances seeking out experimenting with this technology starting dabbling with magic and if they don't have a community to hold them, to give them structure, and they don't do the grounding work to prepare their, their lower circuitry to absorb those shocks of initiatory experiences, for some, it will be great. Some will have a good time and some will like, get activated, initiated, awakened, whatever, but some will be fucked. So I kind of like just wanted to spread this 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 model and the work with this model and um, also the cautionary tale of my own experience <laughs> um um to 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 put it out there and allow people to give people more tools and to also do this work in community and that's why I'm trying to do also with this like group coaching programs right to to have a container that goes like to like two or three months or just a group of people engaging in this work and having the chance to be in in a social setting in a group uh, being held um to do this work and if something comes up to have someone to talk to 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 like kind of like go through the process right because that's the other thing you start doing this exercises and your your circuitry will get rattled, right? So like there's movement in your system, things break up and things come up and, you know, like things come to the surface and it needs community and it needs sometimes also a guide or a person that will support you that has done some aspects of the work or is maybe a couple of steps ahead of you to help you make sense, to help you ground, to help you integrate. And I just think that we're going to need as many people offering this kind of help and guidance um, and support systems and making these tools even like available and accessible and knowledgeable for more. So that when we start experimenting in the realms of psychonautics, either with magic or with substances, that um, we kind of like have a compass and a grid to work ourselves through and to understand this delicate this delicate um, dynamic of challenge, expansion, and dysregulation and coming back to balance. Wow. I'm going to give that a minute just to soak in. Thank you. 
there's uh what I hear is you're bringing a framework to all to something that I don't know has many frameworks to work with. I'm I'm really aware of this because Maps is bringing a the Maps uh what is it multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. Rick Doblin um they're having a big conference here in Denver mm. uh in a few weeks and it's uh really at an academic conference, very heavy in the science and the scientific, you know, clinical studies and and this and that. And uh, as much as I respect the scientific and academic community, I don't know that they're coming up with any good frameworks for all this. Mm. And the eight circuit model and the way you're presenting it really does provide an excellent framework to help navigate these spaces. One of the things that came up for me around working in a group is that when you have a common intention in a group, it seems to allow the work to go deeper. Mm -hmm. I love that part as well. Um, go ahead. Also, because the group container is a ritual setting in itself, right? I right. open the container with a ritual. We've given a ritual intention. Um, I open a vortex of chaos for that intention to go really deep into the ether. Mm. Um and we close the container at some point as well. So it's a magical ride in itself. And it's very curious because I feel like each round is getting more potent with the part of the magic. I have a couple of participants that have gone through two of my courses now. They're like, okay, I'll do a repeat because it's like it was fun and interesting and you don't need to repeat at some point to go deeper. Mm -hmm. And they say like, even though like... Each week I call in the circuit, I call in the color of magic that I've associated with it. And even though if you're not engaging with the exercises, the synchronicity of the magic of the container, life brings you exactly the circumstances for you to do the work on that circuit. Mm, a little bit of a rug pull there for some of those folks. Oh, yeah. Like uh, I've been adapting a little bit as well because I think like the first rounds I threw people really fast out into the deep end <laughs> and um, the people that had nothing to do with magic before or like, yeah, they had like dabbled with psychedelics, but don't are, are not versed in the realms of magic. And it was kind of like by opening this kind of like more magical, intentional containers, they had kind of like experience of like, what the fuck did I just get myself into? <laughs> in this ride can i still jump aboard i was like no sorry no jumping off the ship yeah. <laughs> need to stick out the ride <laughs> buy the ticket take the ride <laughs> yeah exactly um so i'm also experimenting a little bit with the framework and how i can make it maybe also um there was like a, a marketing coach the other day told me like if you're like in this esoteric entrepreneur kind of path you need to be aware of you need to lay the breadcrumbs for the villagers to come into the forest, but the magic happens deep into the forest. Nice. So this is like kind of like my next task. I did not do the breadcrumb thing. So I just like gathered the villagers and like, okay, I'm throwing you into my cauldron of cows now. <laughs> and, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's been my experience as well is, is, is you need a good trail of breadcrumbs, maybe some candy. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I'm working on right now. And this is going to be in the form of like, 
I'm adapting a little bit. So I'm building an online platform right now. The container I'm running and pre-recording all of the videos, my, my transmissions on the circuits. So I'm doing for each circuit five videos in English and in German because I want to offer it also in German. Um, because there's nobody in German, in German speaking language, even talking about the eight circuit brain model. So I'm doing like an introduction to the circuit and then like going into the different malfunctions and then into the process of intelligence increase and bringing in the color of magic and then kind of like framing what the quest is to, to kind of like claim that mm. circuit. And I will be uploading those into like online learning platform um as as i'm progressing with the course so there will be kind of like a base camp training you know you know get to learn learn to know the map let the 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 basic techniques for getting safe and you know like doing kind of like a base a basic base camp training and then people can embark on the the exploration expedition and then if you have done like the basic exploration expedition you can embark in a more magical journey something kind of like that sure you mentioned color magic. And before I ask about that, I want to ask you, what what is magic? <laughs> what is magic? Really? Are we going with the isis? <laughs> no, don't dodge the question. <laughs> <laughs> How do you define magic? To me, magic is a practice of experimenting with reality mm. um, to... Like it has different it has like different aspects, right? To say like it is claiming to be a magician is anchoring your identity on a higher circuit level, on like a meta programming uh, six circuit six kind of kind of level. And instead of going into circuit seven mystic of like oh, I'm going to dive into the mystery and may the gods or, or whatever do whatever they please with me, it's like no, I'm going to create my reality according to my will. So it is about tuning into your will and tuning in to your agency and tuning in into your energy and tuning into um, how you can use your energy and imagination and your will to experiment and reframe your experience of reality by hacking your own nervous system. Lovely. What came up for me as I was listening is like taking ownership and responsibility for your life and creating the reality you want. Yeah, that that's my definition. So tell me about color magic. You use colors with the circuits. Yes, I I'm I'm playing with kind of like mm, correlating the eight circuits with the eight colors of magic from Chaos Magic. So from okay. from Pe from Peter Carroll. Right. It just like makes sense, you know. It's eight colors, eight circuits. And I'm representing the model as well on the chaos sphere, which I like a lot because it kind of like gives this visual of um, they're all interconnected. There's not really a hierarchy. Um, they all talk to each other. They all interact with each other and they all go in every different direction. So I'm, I'm liking that visualization. And then I'm just like started playing around like, can I correlate the different colors of magic to the different circuits? And I mean, I'm, 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 I'm playing with it. Some make more sense. Some, some are a stretch um, mm -hmm. because it's just, it's just one, it's a different map, you know, it's a different map, but I think I, what I felt like, and this is um, something, some inspiration I got out, out of the psychonauts field manual, which is like an, a free resource on chaos magic provided by arch traitor blue fluke. I think he calls himself Nathan Smith. 
Yes. Um, and he, he made this very easily accessible comic book as an introduction to chaos, to chaos magic, basically, um, reducing, um, reducing the, the, the tech to the basics that you can play with. And then he also kind of like correlated this like, yeah, you can use a chakra system. You can use a separate system. And there's this eight circuit brain system as well that you can use as a grid to understand how consciousness works, because if you are the magician and you're starting tampering with reality, you're tampering with your consciousness, you're tampering with your nervous system. And I kind of liked, liked that it goes well together because for me, chaos magic, I work also more with the psychological and the information model more than the spirit or the energy model. And I would consider myself still agnostic. Um, I, I studied comparative religion that gave me a very methodological agnosticism to approach um, kind of like phenomenological uh, or like phenomena or, or yeah, phenomena of the higher circuits. And I, f I think this both models work very well together in a sense of kind of like understanding that magic happens as well when you start changing your programming and your circuits one to four and start adapting then your experience of reality changes so a lot of like changing your experiences of realities is actually changing the way your nervous system operates and then going into resonance with the reality out there so like if you change something inside of yourself your resonance changes does whatever the reality that kind of like docks into your um interaction matrix with the world also changes right so a lot of the change we can't affect in our experience of reality comes with with making changes within in our own nervous system and in finding strategies to tap into the forces that are outside of our nervous system and both of that get very well depicted with the eight circuit brain model so i just think they're married well together and then i out of that um i i felt like for chaos magicians I feel the eight circuit brain model is a much more accessible map than the chakra map or the separate map. And I like that it also comes without a strong religious cultural map attachment. So you can't use it with whatever kind of paradigm you're using with. Um, if you can't get comfortable with the neural, neural lingu neurolinguistic uh, or, or um, yeah, neuroscience speak or language of it. Um, that again goes well with the psychological and the information model as well. Right, right. So, the, would you say you learned the color magic for you were studying chaos magic before you came across the eight circuit model? If I understand yeah. correctly, if I remember. So, would you say you were already informed in that color model, and then you were able to use that to kind of leapfrog onto the eight circuit model and develop your understanding of that model? Does that make sense? Yeah, like I came across the eight colors of magic before, and um, and the group they they are relevant to the group practices as well. And the IoT we do play a lot with that map. It's it's just a map for understanding different sources of energy in magic, different kinds of magic as well. So if you, I mean, you would you want me to go through the like the correlations I've made and 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 explain them? Would you like to? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Give it a shot. So. I correlated circuit one to red magic and red magic and chaos magic is kind of like uh, the magic of um, war, magic of planet Mars related to the Martian Mars energy, right? The warrior, mm -hmm. the warrior archetype. 
Gotcha. And it's kind of like this energy that, yeah, cor- for me corresponds with the fight flight impulses of our nervous system as well, right? But it's also like the, so for me, it's a source of vitality as well. So okay. it has a lot to do yeah. with it. like claiming, claiming your power, claiming your vitality in your physical body, defending, defending yourself, defending your body. Um, martial arts as well, right? It's a very good circuit one stabilizing, integrating practice because you inherently imprint safety in your system if you can't trust your body to defend yourself. So like if red magic is the art of magical warfare, then Mm. it kind of like goes well with this energy of like setting also psychic boundaries and of psychic attacks as well, but it's like also sourcing sourcing energy in the body and draining or increasing sources of energy of life force in the body. I think about taking action. Taking action. Action is a very physical oriented Mm. thing. Okay. So that's red. Mm -hmm. First circuit red. First circuit red. Yeah. Second circuit, I correlated with yellow magic. And jello magic and chaos magic is ego magic, basically. So it is about doing self-work. It's about uh, creating transformation. It's about making changes in the ego, right? And like making changes of habits, making changes of um, ego programmings, um, uh, also enhancing ego strength in the sense of like maybe you do an invocation, so to bringing a quality of a specific kind into your system, right? You want to be more confident. You make an invocation of, I don't know, um, and confident character that you're or like a deity or entity or whatever to kind of like bring in the energy you're wanting um, into the space. Um, so it's like about enhancing your ego or self-expression in a way. Also, but it also, yellow magic is also about shadow work in a sense, right? So like all, all the magic that is directed to um to work on the self and to to enhance self-expression or enhance the self-radiance so it would also be like kind of like solar plexus chakra right so like the self-expression and i think that goes very beautiful well with circuit two work nice i like that and it seems like the colors are bringing in a little more flavor to the circuit in a way that i don't i have a very um my view of the circuits is is really highly rooted in the developmental stage model. And, and that's just mm-hmm. the way I roll with it. But there's things that aren't captured by that. And your colors are bringing in more flavor to the way I think about the model. So I like where you're going with this. So, the, so we got red and yellow. What's next? Circuit three, I correlated to orange magic. Okay. Circuit two planetary, yellow magic is the sun, right? And circuit mm. three, orange magic would be mercurial magic. Right? Okay. So it's like magic of mind, of inspiration, um, but it's also about like pattern recognition, you know, about tapping into sources of information, sources of inspiration as well. So you can also work kind of like with invocations in the sense of like, I want to have information out of an entity to receive some some information. Um, it can be also, but it's kind of like mercurial magic also has kind of like this trickster element to it, right? So like also kind of mm-hmm. living on the edge and like hacking the odds and the statistic, but tweaking the statistic to your favor, kind of like playing around with the grids of reality and and the maps so that you can like you, you can get your way and it's like yes. a very important trait for a magician as well to like find find the way how you can trick your mind so that you can get your way right so like orange magic is a lot about 
mind hacking yourself as well and 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 like but also like work working smarter and not harder and and you know like just kind of like tapping into this um sense of like i can get away with fucking with reality i love there's something very much to me about the third circuit and the trickster and how in my mind it's about self-deception Mm-hmm. And then as we develop that and become aware of that, we can turn the trickster into the magician. Yes. Yes. And I love also, like this is from Discordian Paradigm, right? Illumination through confusion. So this mm. like trickster energy as well as like confusing yourself out of your mind ruts mm. so that you can allow fresh, fresh inspiration to infuse your mind. So the way I think about that is is like we short circuit our brain so that we can just kind of lock it up and allow for something new. It's like a shock, a short circuit allowing for something new. Yes. But the orange magic is like kind of like this playful deliverance of shocks to yourself. So you're like you're uh, fucking yourself in a playful trickstery kind of way. I like that. Bringing back the play we spoke about earlier. Yeah. So what's next? We got red, yellow, orange. And then we have circuit four mm-hmm. and the social navigation. I, I gave the circuits my own names as well. So social navigation circuit, I correlated to green magic. And that might not be like a super perfect fit, but it fits well enough, I think. Um, green magic is associated to the planet of Venus and in, in classical magic. So it's kind of like this magic of love, um, mm. but it also includes sensuality, which would be more like circuit five and not so much circuit four. Um, it includes beauty and aesthetic, which also would be more circuit five than four. Um, but green magic for me also has this connotation of like earth and healing and and, and community and friendship, you know, like opening the heart um kind of like magic so like all that kind of like magic that flows out of the heart and out of like connection of being a creature of earth um and and that healing the healing that comes from it so i put it in circuit four out of the sense of the program the program we aim at at circuit four of being like love and do what you will like liberate yourself as much as you can from social programming, but then operate out of your ethical compass and out of love, right? So like being letting love be the radiance that guides you for circuit four navigations. And if we infuse our circuit four interactions with as much love and green magic mm. as we can, like we bring healing to our collectives, we bring healing to our families and our relationships, and we enhance our capacity to yeah, to share love and through sharing love to share healing as well. Circuit four to me is, um, I want to say the more, the most complicated, maybe most complex of the circuits. And so I love what you're doing here and just kind of simplifying it down to love and connection. And I think that's, that's a great place to start. I, I agree. Circuit four is super complex. Also, like the when I did the lectures on C4, all of them were the longest because mm-hmm. it's just like so, so complicated to, to talk about. And even then I felt I was being like under complex. Yeah. But I think like what I'm aiming at is specifically for, for the practice of chaos magic, right? Chaos magicians weigh in themselves as an amoral, amoral system. Mm right? Because chaos magic does not operate out of the usual 
moral constraints of magical practice, not even love and do what you will would be like the, the main tenant of chaos magic. That's for the telemites to do. But right. chaos magicians are like, yeah, there's no morals. Fuck morals. There's no rules. Everything is permitted. Nothing is true. So you can do whatever the fuck you want. And then I asked myself, well, what keeps chaos magicians then from becoming obnoxious psychopaths, right? <laughs> That's the Christopher Hyatt route. Yeah, exactly. I also read that one, um, <laughs> the, the, the toxic magician. And yeah, I had my fair share of encounter with chaos magicians that are also like kind of like very difficult personalities to deal with and more of in the amoral, asocial spectrum of behavior. So that was why it was for me important to put the green magic into that social circuit and to mm. correlate it with um, with. Yeah, you can't be immoral. You can't like it, it is still the aim of the game to to reduce social conditioning and reduce the restraints on moral laws on your actions. But that's why it's important to have an own value guidance system as well right. and to operate out of love. So what, this reminds me of a conversation earlier about morals versus ethics. And if you strip away the morals, you have to replace them with your own set of ethics. And what I'm hearing is that you're putting love there at the top or near the top. Yeah, yeah lovely. Love, lovely. So yeah, my values, the values I defined for my for my cow surfing enterprise are um love, playfulness, mm, yes, liberation, um, balance, and rapid evolution. I love that. Love, playfulness, liberation, balance, and evolution. Rapid rapid evolution. Uh, those are five pretty damn good values for my mind, for my money. So where do we go from here? We've got the lower four. Mm -hmm. So circuit five, mm -hmm. as I said before, like circuit five, there could be some Venusian energy in circuit five. So you could easily put the green in circuit five as well. Um, but I chose to go with blue magic and blue magic and the cow's magic map kind of like speaks to the magic of wealth. So like wealth creation and materialization. Um, so creating abundance, getting resources, um, getting everything you need. And and it's a little bit of a stretch, but let me let me um speak into that. I think it fits well with circuit five. Circuit five being I call it the the hedonistic, the, the somatic hedonism circuit, right? So it's about connecting to the body and about connecting to the sources of pleasure and about um, getting into the flow of things by being very present and being very in tune to the flow of things, right? And also about aesthetics and 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 yeah, all all the sensory pleasures and being in flow and being very present goes in like a loved part, like from Antero Ali and also another teacher, like, like this mantra, get the fuck out of your own way. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. If you want to experience the, the delights of circuit five, you need to get the fuck out of your own way and just like tune in. And the same, I think applies to blue magic. And I'm by no way yet <laughs> an adept at blue magic. I'm, I'm more on the side of broke. <laughs> <But> <laughs> But um, I'm kind of like experimenting with the notion that if we can, like also this correspondence between circuit one and five, right? If yes. we have enough safety and safety in our in our society is linked to the money as well, right? You need enough money to pay for food and shelter. So like 
basic survival needs money, but then circuit five would be like, okay, survival needs are taken care of. And now I'm tapped into that place of like, I can have everything I need. I can trust in the flow of life to receive everything I need. I can trust in the flow of life to be provided for. And I think that's kind of like the mindset on the attunement that brings in the blue magic, that brings in you, that where magic can bring you everything that you need if you manage to bring up that trust in life and get the fuck out of your own way. I I love where you're going with this. And the word that really stuck with me is abundance. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of that scarcity abundance dichotomy there. And and I I feel that fits with, yeah, first circuit scarcity and a fifth circuit abundance. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting out of your own way. What's next? We got six? Yeah, circuit six. So circuit six, I call the neurohacking magician, right? Like right. working with this, working with this chaos magic model of like um, psychological and information model, working with the nervous system. Um, so it's about accessing altered states of consciousness to 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 then make changes in the different in the lower circuits and meta programming and engineer your possibilities and engineer your reality tunnels, right? Yes. Um, and I correlated that to purple magic, which I think is the biggest stretch of the all of the correlations. <laughs> Purple magic and 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 um, chaos magic is sex magic basically. So it's like the the energy of the moon. Uh, it's about sex magic, so like tapping into the life force to manifest mm. stuff. Yeah, tapping into the force of your sex as creation energy. Um, and in the chaos theory is opposed to death magic, to black magic, because like Thanatos at Eros, right? So like death and creation, destruction and creation. So it's like the raw force of creation, um, the purple magic. And I, f- I think it fits in circuit six, even though if like circuit six would tap into very different kinds of sources of energy and, and, and agnostic states to, to do the meta programming. Um, I liked it because Antero Ali also spoke to that circuit sex being like the energetic body, right? Being the Kundalini life force, being that that kind of like this this power we can't tap into to to then direct with our will. Um, and that sex magic as well as like tapping into the raw force of your your energetic sexuality to create. Um, and um, on the Antero Ali had this chapter on sex on the eight circuits. Right. So like circuit one, like being primal, primal sex, circuit two being emotional sex, circuit three being like more mental, sapiosexual sex, circuit four, more the king, circuit five, more like this tantric sex. And in circuit six, he put sex magic, Uh like the practice of sex magic itself. He assigned to circuit six. And I was like, okay, then um, sex magic of chaos magic will be also in circuit six, even though you can use other sources of power to do meta programming than sex magic and sex magic is not the only access to magic. It's still a cliche that cows magicians are the people wanking at sigils to make things happen. <laughs> so it's also kind of like it just fits. So it's, uh, yeah, to me, that's circuit six in a way is the crux of tuning in and harnessing the energy body. And when we talk about sex magic, that's that energy of creation. That makes sense to me. And then seven, circuit seven. Yeah, circuit seven, I coined 
the term like the cosmic network connection right so it's kind of like this um the access that we have to tune in to sources of intelligence that are of cosmic nature or cosmic scale um uh, and to all the realm of like the archetypes collective unconscious atman akasha chaos whatnot god uh, whatever you call it wherever the fuck the downloads come from i like to joke <laughs> um and i put there octarine magic and octarine is like the eighth color of magic. It's been coined by Terry Pratchett. And Terry Pratchett is said to also have kind of like links to chaos magic. So Peter Carl adopted as well the octarine magic from Terry Pratchett into his color model. And octarine magic, he describes as the purest of magic, right? Mm. It's kind of like magic that does not have like a, a very specific intent or a specific purpose, it's kind of like this magic that's just like you tap in and it just like happens, you know, like the perfect synchronicity magic. Um, I also kind of like like to see it like as Eresian magic, you know, like uh, like just like tapping into the flow of synchronicities. Um, or it's said that each magician sees that color in their own way. Like each magician interprets the octarine in their own way. For me, octarine is kind of pink. Um, and it has kind of for me this kind of like very playful kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> magic, mm. you know, like, kind of like a little bit like fairy trickster Eresian magic that is just about um chaotically and randomly creating synchronicity so that what you need on your path will manifest if you're connected and tuned in and tapped in into your circuit seven cosmic network connection antennas There's something to me about being in flow and is that see you thinking there I put flow more in circuit five, to be honest, okay. like more in this, like the material flow of life, because I feel like flow is more about life itself on, on mm. planet Earth, while this more like synchronicity, magic, outer worldly, okay. fairy, Eresian energy is like bigger than than the flow. Fair enough. I'll go along with that. Synchronicity magic is bigger than flow. Eight. What's Eight. Um, eight in the circuit, I, I actually, I call it the radical transformation circuit. Wow. So going out of the non-locality aspect of it, um, I brought it more down to the process of, um, death and renewal. Also admitting, of course, that all kind of like out of body experiences will catalyze a radical transformation as well in the sense of how like we connect to our lower circuitry. And I, yeah, I correlated with black magic, which in the, in the chaos sphere stands for death magic, but this death magic and chaos magic is not just only about like voodoo, like it also includes voodoo and all that kind of like practices with uh, spirits and the death or like trying to intentionally um, off a player from the play field. Um, but death magic has also this aspect of it's about transformation. It's about like surrendering to the process of radical change, um, surrendering to the process of letting go, of accepting losses, of absorbing losses and reinventing yourself after a loss. Um, it has also, it's, it's linked to the Saturnian energy, right? So it's okay. also about kind of like this, um, taking the deep dives into personal transformation and upheaval and um, also about like the silence and concentration that comes out of those like void states. Mm. So I Word think, yeah. comes up, go ahead. What were you saying? 
I think that there is a pretty perfect fit, even though if like, I think in Chaos Magic, Dream Magic is not necessarily associated with Black Magic, more, okay. I think more actually more with per- Purple Magic, like it's more linked to the sex magic with like the moon being the dream, the dream energy as well. Mm. Um, but they're linked in the Chaos Sphere as well. Yeah. So like... What doesn't add up is like the way the colors are placed usually in the chaosphere because they also have kind of like a correlation, the black with the purple as in death and sex, the blue and the the orange in the sense of like the orange is like the mind and the idea and you tap into the realm of ideas and with the blue you manifest into the world, you make it it, um, from idea into materiality. Then the octarine is on the opposite of the jello magic. So like the purest of magic is the is on the other spectrum of like the ego magic. So you know you need to get out of the ego to actually tap into the pure magic. And then the green magic of love is on the other side of the red magic of like war magic. So it doesn't add up into the configuration of the circuits. Uh, yes. If I represent them as like one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, but I think it's a fair enough correlation given it all well i what i got out of eight is about impermanence Mm -hmm. a a lot of it and um i appreciate that you're uh owning up to it's not being perfect and it's a way i think for chaos magicians to gain access to the circuits and for people with circuit orientation to gain access to chaos magic and to admit or admit it's not like an admission but just to just to acknowledge that they aren't perfectly aligned is important but you can still use one to inform the other or if you're familiar yeah. with one if you're familiar with one to use that to help you get started on the other or to help you play with it well so wow we've covered quite a bit here is there anything you'd love to talk about or a question you'd like me to ask that i haven't asked yet well you said you wanted to challenge me on my circuit the color correlation yeah. so go go <laughs> challenge me <laughs> oh i i um yeah, I'm not feeling. I, I that was a, a question I emailed you a long time ago, and I, I think you've handled this well. Where you're like, well, it doesn't always fit, but here's where this is this. And um, there's a part of me that used to get really interested in correlating different models, and uh, I've really lost interest in that, uh, particularly recently. Uh, and in a way, I think the correlation is that we're all human. And these are all human models of consciousness in some shape or form. So there's always going to be that connection. Um, and then I guess it's, you know, which one appeals to you or what do you find the most useful or, or take what, you know, that this idea of taking what's useful and creating your own model. Yeah. And, and a lot of what I've heard you say today is that you are, you know, you've done the work, you've done these exercises, you've had the experiences and you're able to make this model your own. Um, and you can use. Uh, Kind of a color approach from chaos magic you can use the circuit approach but but that this is through your work you've made this your own so i i don't really have a challenge i guess um mostly because it doesn't seem like you've gotten too carried away with your correlation between the two models it's not like i'm i'm cringing inside going no that just doesn't work for me it it does work for me i like the way you presented it so yeah yeah, as you said, I mean, like you can't you can't correlate any model to any other, and you will find similarities, and you find differences, and you find fits, and you find misfits, right? The yeah. funny thing is, like, I talked to another brother of the pact, and I told him about my correlations. He was like, 
Oh no, I would put this like he, he had a like some matched of the correlations yeah. and some colors he put in a different circuit. And I was like, wow, how? And then he explained, it's like, oh yeah, okay, that also kind of like makes sense. Right. So it's like, I mean, at the end, it's the circuit three exercise of sense making, right? And map and sense making. Mm-hmm. You're playing fucking around with maps and trying to like make sense. But I think what you said is the, the important thing. It like it informs it informs the approach to the to the personal work in a magical way in a yeah in a in a yeah. this is like my own approach yeah each cow's magician has their own approach to magic and to the work as well so this is like very much my personal play with this material and how i've made it my own and i just think as you said that like it can give people who are like eight circuit brain nerds a little bit of access to like okay how can i include a little bit of like playful use of magic into my work with the circuits and for chaos magicians kind of like give them an access to like oh how can i operate my nervous system um within my practice of magic right and realizing i love that quote of bob bob of like um We've been searching from the elixir of life, God, the philosopher's stones, whatnot, and all around it has been carrying us around as the human nervous system itself. Mm. And I think that's just such a big key. It was such a big key for me. It's like, you know, we need, we, we came to this world as kind of, I don't know, souls, cosmic travelers, adventurers, whatever you want to call it. And we got incarnated into this weird biocomputer and nobody ever gave us a manual to use it. And not only that, it got like seriously fucked through the process of socialization and indoctrination. And now we need to like unfuck our nervous system and like mm. kind of like study the manual. And I think being a magician is just like claiming the operator seat on your nervous system um, and like getting very conscious, but also playful around which sources you can use to unfuck your nervous system. Wow. Love that. I uh, You're so articulate with this material. I really love listening to what you have to say. And I, I want to, part of me wants to just shut up and end on that note. And there's another part of me that's going back to the mixing models part, because I can't resist. I'll end that conversation about mixing models. Um, I think the ultimate example in my mind is uh, The Game of Life by Lyrian Wilson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they he correlates the eight, or they, they correlate the eight circuits with the Tarot and the I Ching and all these big, complicated models, maybe the Tree of Life as well. And on a mental level it's cute and and fun and it doesn't resonate with me at all um anymore if it ever did uh it just seems like it's getting carried away and and the opposite of that again is to uh make your own model Mm -hmm. and what what you said that really struck me the most is uh what i wrote down at least is claim the operator seat i don't know if i have operator is the right word there but you know, taking ownership and responsibility of your life and what what kind of map do you need to do that and continually refining that map and making it your own. Yeah, that like really struck me from from the course from Antero Ali that he like put so much emphasis in this, like you need to claim your own terms so that you can yeah. claim this map for your own, right? I'm just like giving you the grid, make the experiments on your own, see how it applies to your own life. And then, you know, just give it your names, the names that work for you, um, what makes sense to you so that you can use it, like make it actionable, a usable and functional tool 
more than just just like a theoretical mind walk you're throwing around. Oh, awesome. Anything else? <laughs> um, Tell us what you've got going on, maybe on... You coach this material in groups and individually, I assume, and you're doing some workshops and presentations. and Yeah. So I've been doing uh, introductory workshops with this model at festivals, like a three-hour three-hour workshop is kind of like my taster. So I kind of like take the people through a ride of on all of the eight circuits with an exercise for each of the circuits and all the build up like theory to it uh, in a playful way. That's like, yeah, has been resulted in a lot of people like, wow, this is mind blowing. And this was so much fun. Then I have a format that goes like a whole day long. I call it like ritual play. And then we do more more rituals as well. So it's the focus is a little bit more on ritual, but still taking us through the eight circuits. I'm teaching, um, I'm, I'm doing this like um, online course two times a year. Like at one intake is in the spring equinox and one intake is in the autumn equinox. So like um, to have like um, have a, some consistency in that offer as well. Um, and this is an, a magical group journey of exploration where I invite psychonauts, magicians, explorers, researchers, people ready to do like deep dive self-work. And there's like different entry levels. So you can just like do take, take, take the stuff, do your own stuff, like, you know, write down, share a little bit, or you can like come to the, the video calls, the group calls as well, or you can book uh, coaching on top of it because like to you know, to know to really get deep into meta programming and reprogramming and like working with what's coming up by doing the experiments and by listening to the material and then building this online course experience that will be like kind of like more the gateway to then uh, recruit into the the magical journeys um I'm planning or like working around doing retreats with this. Um, I wanted to do two retreats this year. Maybe like one will happen in June, but this will be only offered to people who have taken the course before. So then I don't have to go deep into the theory, but just like start doing rituals and experiments yes. and together. Um, and there was an idea, but it seems like the synchronicity is not aligning, um, that there was the idea to do um, end of summer an eight day retreat at Boleskine Mansion. Um, mm. um, but it seems they're not ready yet to, to, to host events and they're kind of like, oh, I don't know yet. And it may happen or it may not happen at there. Um, but that's like something I've like talked also with, um, Sack West and, and Rachel that we're like also kind of having like an eight circuit brainiac group because we, all three of us hold also with Doug as well, the vision of having at some point, some form of a retreat center. That's like the big vision I'm after is the chaos monastery. So it would be wow. kind of like a. A retreat center, a place where you can like get off the social game, the, the usual social game for a while, do work on yourself and all of the eight circuits. Um, and my, my vision is that which is aligned with those guys as well as like a bit of a, there would be kind of like a community, a sangha of monks living there. And there would be mm. kind of like an invitation to teachers of different from different kinds to come as well. So there would be people that are teaching martial arts, teaching permaculture, teaching, I don't know, body work, yoga, people doing more emotional alchemy stuff, people doing more the mind stuff and, you know, holding discussions and disputes. 
um, work around relating that can be done, you know, authentic relating. And then like also, of course, the ritual and magical experiences of circuit five to circuit eight. So like to have like kind of like a play temple as well, um, have um, a, yeah, a magical space to look at magic rituals and uh, that would be circuit six and seven and then have kind of like also floating tanks, dark chambers and, and like uh, isolation cells where you can like go deep into circuit eight stuff. Um, and then there would be like people who can like come for an X period of time to just like retreat and, and do work in their own flow. And then there could be like also kind of like retreats of eight days or retreats of eight weeks or kind of like different models where people can book, come in, like do the deep work and get spat out in the world and every mm. configuration and go back to play in the usual social field. Yeah, so that's like the bigger vision I'm after and everything I'm kind of like building is like stepping stones towards that, towards that vision. Yeah. Nice. So like and I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I work with, I have like my circuit two program I've developed to do like circuit two work. I call the Aramid's journey mm. and it's inner child work basically. And um, I do it with cacao. But it opens your heart, you know, it calms the amygdala as well. So it calms down circuit one. Um, it opens you up in circuit four. It gets easier also to look at the more difficult emotional context, content. And since we both drink cacao, also the space I provide as a coach is like more tender, open hearted, it's like a very warm, cozy space to, to go to do inner explorations. And it's a, like a five session process where in the first session, we kind of like look at, okay, what's the pain point? Yeah. Where is the circuit to bug actually? Like, is it about boundaries? It's about self-esteem. It's about confidence. Like, um, is it about like stopping seeking validation from the outside? You know, like the circuit two topics people come with. And usually people come to coaching a lot with circuit two topics, some circuits three and four topics as well, but it's a lot about circuit two topics actually. Um, and then in the second session, we kind of like look at, okay, what's the transformation we're aiming at? Like, how do you want to feel? What is like the spell you want to cast on yourself um, as a change in your circuit two programming? And by the end of the session, we then craft a sentence of will, a spell, right? Mm. And the third session is then a ritual. And so like, it takes a little bit longer, about three hours. And in this ritual, we do, you know, the whole chaos magic ritual start with banishment and then doing the spell and then, you know, like uh, smoke, smoking and smudging and clearing the energy. And then I serve the cacao and then have kind of like a playlist where the first part of the playlist is um, Spanish medicine songs. So I go into actually like singing medicine songs. I invoke the cacao mama. So I'm kind mm. of like this, this very, yeah, you know, this entity, the cacao mama is kind of like this big mama that just has like super big, soft tits. And it's just like very cozy, like, oh, come on. Oh, you want to do shadow work? Oh, yes, no problem. Come, I take you by the hand. It's all going to be okay. And at any time, you know, you can't come cuddle up. We have a blanket. I'm holding mm. your hand all the way through. It's going to be just fine. Just okay. And then we do kind of like, um, uh, I asked them to give me songs from their childhood yeah, for the second part yeah. of the playlist. Songs that remind them, though, from a happy time, a happy place, you know, songs that bring them back to like this inner child space, but not the trauma space, but this kind of like 
yay, I'm the master of my own world. You know, I can do whatever I want mm. in my own world. I'm tapped into my magic of creation. So in between, I have kind of sort of like a boundary meditation where I guide them to kind of like clear their inner space, get all the stuff out that's not from them, collect and organize their own stuff so, so that their space feels clear and inviting and they're very clear about the boundaries. Then invite the inner child into that space and allow them, the inner child, to take them to their Abenteuer land, which is like kind of like the land of wonders of the inner child where the inner child is just the magician that can create and reshape this world at their will right and out of that space where the child is safe and it's in its full power i interact with the child and kind of like ask them what they need and what they're lacking and what they're wanting from the adult person to to have and this is then this was inspired by the commitment ritual from antero ali right i have them build them a bridge to the adult world cross it and when they've crossed it, I asked them if they heard what their inner child said that they need. So they get to like to validate what they heard. And then they get to make the inner child a promise of support, mm. of reassurance, of, um, I don't know, whatever. It, it just like, comes out like that. And we close the ritual space and then we have two more integration sessions where we look at, okay, what has come up after this um, ritual? What has shown, what has been shown to you? How's your inner child like talking to you? How, how is it um, responding? What is it asking? And then the last session to kind of like see what else adjustments the person needs to make in their life to integrate also the needs of the child within and to stay in that connection. And this has been like the clients have guided through this process. It's such a huge transformation that happens. It's a huge sense of empowering, of like claiming back the source of awe and wonder and play by connecting to the inner child on one. And then usually the spell is very concise around boundaries, about empowerment, about self-care, about taking care of yourself, about... um yeah, about authentic self-expression, something like that is what people usually come up with. So I've, I've witnessed that as being a very, very, very empowering process. And I'm testing this protocol as well as a potential protocol for working with other substances. So if I would do client work with psychedelics, I would also do in a setting of like two sessions before where we check out what's the pain point one session to clear what's going to be the intention for the trip, what's going to be the spell, the outcome, the meta programming we're going to do with this trip, then create a ritual experience that serves that intention uh, within a psychedelic container, and then do two more integration sessions to actually see, okay, like, okay, what has actually come up out of this? What is the juice? What is the gold? And what adaptations do we need to do to, to further integrate the wisdom of this experience? And that I think is the, the eight circuit brain work satisfies my mind. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Satisfies the geek in me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I understand totally. And the work with cacao and the personal space and the rituals itself, that is like more heart and soul nourishing to me. Mm. And it makes a ton of sense. I feel like. In this whole like psychedelic wave that's coming, we have we have the medicalization track, we have the commercialization track. What we don't have a lot of is like, how are we going to create our own rituals? How can we stop culturally appropriating indigenous rituals for our psychedelic ceremonies and create our fucking own? 
And I think that cow's magic has the perfect recipe for it. Like for like, especially paired with this model of knowing and understanding how our nervous system works and how the different substances act on different circuits and the spaces they open and the windows of neuroplasticity they open, um, that we can then create out of the knowledge of the nervous system, out of the knowledge of including sensory experience, including the body, including the needs of the different circuits, create rituals or, or urban rituals that are attuned to our actually lived culture mm. and even tailored to our individual lives. I think that's uh, hugely important as this uh, psychedelic therapy takes hold. Uh, what I see in part is we're using some old psychotherapy frameworks with these substances and these experiences. And I don't know that that's going to hold water, but what you're bringing to the table here. I love what you're doing. I love chatting with you. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you again also for this opportunity. It was lovely talking to you and um, also you with your group of the Intelligence Increase group and Facebook have inspired me a lot to keep oh, on great. going and keep on doing the work. Ah, that's fantastic to hear. All right. I'm going to let you go. It was a great chat. Have a great evening. You too, Mike. All right. Take care. Ciao. Bye. That concludes the episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. A big thank you to Mariana taking the time to talk. Thank you to Christina Pearson of the Robert Anton Wilson Trust and Richard Rossa of Alertas Press. And thank you to Ryan Reeves for putting it all together. The next regular episode, releasing on the holiest of holy days, the 23rd of July, 2023, the 50th anniversary of the series transmissions, will feature Ivan Stang of the Church of the Subgenius. Until then, I am your host, Mike Gathers, signing off with love and cheerfulness. Amor et hilaritas. Thank you.